So I, uh, I, I told the, the men's group on Friday night that I would be preaching from this text as part of our Stranger Things sermon series. You know, that women should be silent in the churches. And they said, we were going to sit in the back. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to get hit by anything they throw at you. <laughs> so, hey guys, back there. Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. I want to begin today by reading something to you. And at the end of the reading, I want to give you a chance to turn to someone near to you and tell them what you think it is about, the thing that I'm reading. So here it is. Listen closely. With hawked gems financing him, our hero bravely defied all scornful laughter that tried to prevent his scheme. Your eyes deceive, he had said. An egg, not a table, correctly typifies this unexplored planet. Now three sturdy sisters sought proof, forging along sometimes through calm vastness, yet more often very turbulent peaks and valleys. Days became weeks as many doubters spread fearful rumors about the edge. At last, from nowhere, Welcome winged creatures appeared, signifying momentous success. So take a moment, turn to someone near you, and tell them what you think all of that was about. Go ahead, you have 20 seconds. Okay, does anyone want to venture a guess? Does anyone think they have it? Not. That's right. It's Christopher Columbus. What if I told you that the hero that the text refers to is Christopher Columbus? Does it make sense now? The earth is an egg not a table. The sturdy sisters, the Mina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria. Some thought that they would fall off the edge of the world. Listen again. With hawked gems financing him, our hero bravely defied all scornful laughter that tried to prevent his scheme. Your eyes deceive, he had said. An egg, not a table, correctly typifies this unexplored planet. Now three sturdy sisters sought proof, forging along sometimes through calm vastness, yet more often through turbulent peaks and valleys. 
Days became weeks as many doubters spread fearful rumors about the edge. At last, from nowhere, welcome winged creatures appeared, signifying momentous success. It changes everything, right? It changes everything to know who the hero of the story is. It is that way with this small paragraph from Columbus's voyage, but it's also that way, I think, with the Bible. When we approach the Bible, it can be the same kind of mystery to decipher until we remember who the hero is. It's a mystery to decipher until we remember who the hero is. This is especially true in a passage like today's from the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians where it says women should be silent in the churches. Paul, really more so those that have interpreted Paul over the last several millennia, have interpreted this text in a way that has held women out and held them down. Now I could do interpretive gymnastics with this text. Many have done that. Maybe you came expecting that today. I could say that Paul didn't even write these two verses. Some will say that. That these two verses were added sometime later by someone with an agenda. I could, as some do, I could point to the word silence. The Greek there, segeo, is used several times in this chapter. And it's used in such a way not to create a comprehensive prohibition, but in such a way to curtail those who would be destructive to the community by drawing attention to themselves. So I could do that with the text. Others will say relatedly that Paul didn't mean to create some sort of permanent restriction on women, but he was speaking into a particular community, a particular set of women who were creating some particular problem. And there is, I'm sure, some truth in all of that interpretive gymnastics. But I also think it is enough, maybe, to remember that Paul, with all due respect to Paul, is an apostle, not a member of the Trinity. Paul is a man. A man sincerely devoted to the Christian movement, but a man nonetheless. And what we have in the letters of the New Testament is a snapshot of his life and ministry. And that is not to say that there isn't truth to be found in his words. I just think that the truth to be found is that we will always have conflict as a community whenever we attempt to set the gospel alongside the culture. We are, this is the truth of the text. It's the truth of so many of the letters. We are always going to have conflict as a community whenever we set the gospel alongside the culture. It is plain to see that Paul is in conflict with himself. He's in conflict with himself on how to best implement the teaching of Jesus. Jesus who, Paul himself says, tore down the dividing wall between us so that there is no longer Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free, male nor female. And he says this up against the culture that had long functioned under a very different hierarchy with men at the top. He's in conflict with himself. Remember that while these verses and the verses in 1 Timothy that are like them are attributed to Paul, so are the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just three chapters before today's text, where Paul assumes and presumes that women will prophesy and pray in the churches. Not to mention the 16th chapter of Romans, where Paul offers a full chapter of affirmation to the leadership of women. He caps that chapter by saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who would cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. He could never have known what an obstacle his own writing has created or that we have created out of his writing. Because since then, women have been held in check by these handful of verses. Even today, there are those that call themselves complementarians who believe that women and men should simply complement one another in ministry. While maintaining, of course, that men have access to all the roles while women have a limited menu. Women can pray in church, they will say. They can teach Sunday school. They can help with coffee hour. They can lead the children's moment. But they can't be pastors. They can't be preachers. They can't preach to men. They can't have that kind of authority. That's what Paul meant. As if Paul could have even conceived of the role, the authority, or I should say the lack thereof, of today's modern-day preacher. Might it be enough for us today to remember that Paul is on a voyage? He's on a journey. We remember well his geographical journey, his missionary journey to spread the good news of Jesus all over the empire, but he's also on this spiritual journey where he finds himself challenged by his own teaching, leaving us with, like the paragraph in Columbus's voyage, leaving us with a message when taken in its entirety that is almost impossible to decipher. What do we do with all this? It's impossible to decipher, at least until we remember who the hero is. Once you know, once you remember who the hero of the text is, it changes how you understand what you're reading. It clicks. The hero of this text is the word that was in the beginning. The hero of our text, of our Bible, came to confront the rule-obsessed legalism of the religious leaders. The hero of this text was moved to act by women. Just ask the widow of Nain, who had her son brought back to life. 
the hero of the text. Surprised a lot of men in the way that he interacted with women. Just ask the one with the alabaster jar. The hero of our text gave the women a voice, a hearing, a real conversation partner. The hero of this text, according to the Gospel of John, by the way, appeared first to a woman after the resurrection. Over and against every argument that women should not be preachers, let us remember that there was a period of time on the third day where only one person had news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if the world ended in that moment, there would have only been one preacher to ever exist on this planet, and her name was Mary. And she was told by Jesus to go and let the men know. If we know the hero of the text, if we know him, not just know of him, but if we know him as the one who sets the rhythm of our lives, it changes how we read this passage, I think, and how we read the entirety of Scripture. And the good news, the most exciting news, is that the hero's story is still being written. And that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continues to write that story in us. Even this morning, over and against the obstacle of silence that I've placed on Chris, the hero's story is being written. Through the Holy Spirit, she is creating beauty and life in our sanctuary. Beauty and life she will explain in just a few moments. But for now, let hers be an act of symbolism. An act meant to remind us that silence that's been imposed on women throughout the centuries has not kept the author, God, from writing the story of the hero, Jesus, in and through them. Let her remind you of Julian of Norwich whose family died in the 14th century by way of the plague. And yet she wrote Revelations of Divine Love. And she became a renowned theologian and mystic. Let her work under the blanket of silence remind you of Betsy Stockton, who was born a slave in the 18th century, but became the first single American woman to be commissioned by the American Board of Overseas Missionaries, teaching and training teachers in what we now call Hawaii. Let Chris remind you of Fanny Crosby, who was born blind, all of these women with these additional obstacles, born blind and yet wrote over 9,000 hymns, including Blessed Assurance, which we'll sing today. Let Chris remind you, Chris and her silence remind you that the hero's story was written and continues to be written over and against whatever is put in its way, just ask that stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. Finally today, let Chris remind you of your own obstacles. We all have obstacles. And it might be that you come to church today 
facing obstacles, but knowing somewhere in you that you are ready to explode with goodwill. It's in you, and you're ready for it to come out. But someone has put you in your place, some instance, some thing has put you in your place. It might be that the spirit is just dying to draw something out of you, but you are in a funk. It might be that you know you have something awesome in there, but you're stuck, stuck, stuck. Just remember, today I hope what you'll take away is that obstacles are no problem for God. The hero's story is yearning to be written in and through you. Even if it doesn't feel like that today, know that a big part of faith is believing that God will not get writer's block when it comes to you. God will not get writer's block when it comes to you. And so, let us set eyes on the hero of the text and let him define what we understand from Scripture whenever it is that we need to understand it. I once had a professor who said, if you read a passage of scripture and you come out with a human hero, read it again. The hero of our text is Jesus and through him we can be inspired by those that found a way to bring beauty and peace and betterment into our world in spite of the obstacles that were put in their way. And then we can present ourselves as a new parchment, a ready canvas for the narrative of the hero of the universe. We can present ourselves with a willingness to be Christ's letter to the world. And now, I want to give Chris a moment to tell us about her canvas. So as you can see, it's not finished. It's not finished because I need your all's help to finish it. And this was the plan all along, I promise. Um, what I have painted are a few lopsided, but effective picture frames. See, every church that I've ever been in typically has this wall. We have a hallway that has pictures that the church considers the heroes of their church history. Often, it's a series of pictures of the head pastors through their history. If you're lucky, you get a few associate pastors along with them. We have a bunch of theologians and wonderful people alongside that. But those people are not always the people that keep the doors open. I've heard stories upon stories about people stuffing pews to make sure that the pew racks are ready in the morning. I've heard stories of grandmothers going in on Monday, cleaning the bathrooms to make sure that that small church was ready for the week. Stories and stories of people impacting one another, whether it's in Sunday schools or nurseries or all the hundreds of people that make a church a church, not just the head pastor. And sadly, those people don't ever get a hall of pictures with their names and their stories along with it. 
So what I am asking you is for you to send me either by mail and put it in my mailbox, print it off, or email me pictures of the people who have influenced your faith. Because it turns out that preaching doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. That there's people who preach into our lives on a daily basis. And I want to be able to put them in the picture frames that's often reserved for a select few. So if you would be so kind, help me to hold these people up. Some people who have, haven't traditionally been able to have a voice, who have been kept from having their stories told. Help me tell their stories. Thank you.